Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 47. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me is everybody. We got Matt Santangelo and Pep Barisha. I don't know. Whoever wants to say hello first, Ken, uh, what's going on, guys? I'm doing pretty well, Martino and Pet. Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> or shall I say, um, yeah. it's good yeah, to be welcome. back on. I've been doing yeah. a lot of guest yeah. guest appearances lately, so that kind of that's been like kind of a normal roll off the tongue intro. But um, yeah, I know you guys introduced the athletic partnership or sponsorship in our last episode, so I just want to kind of briefly touch on and say uh, you know, a big thank you to uh, not only our audience and you know those who support us along the way for making this happen, but also the athletic for um, giving that nod of confidence and you know, seeing the vision, the passion uh, of this project that we've all uh, grown to build. And I'm very excited to be uh, linking up with them and, of course, seeing what the future holds for us. So um, as the late Nipsey Hussle, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, always kind of alluded to the marathon continues. Marathon does continue. Uh, how's it going, guys? Yeah, really good to... Well, it's two in a row for me for the first time in a while. Um, yeah, just echoing again what Matt said. If you guys didn't listen last week, we plugged the Athletic for the first time. Really, really proud to have them kind of on board. We've had our like best ever month uh, in June like for everything. So social, uh, audience, listenership, kind of interactions on everything. Like It's been crazy good. I think even Martina and me are nearly at 1,000 followers. That's, that's becoming a bit of a battle, isn't it, Martina? <laughs> I but yeah, I uh, I had a really big weekend. I was even getting compliments from some of the friends on Twitter. They're like, Gee, they're like, Jesus, you're on fire this weekend. I was like, I tweeted, I had the one tweet on the fourth of July, and then it banged, and I was like, you know what? I'm taking the day off, and I never take. The day off. <laughs> I tweet about I tweet about a hundred times. Yeah, I took uh, I took a note out of uh, Matt's book, and I just uh, drank a, a few white claws the rest of the day. So, I mean, <laughs> that was that. There you go. Um, there you go. <laughs> yes, yes. But the race there, too, I mean, the growth is just awesome. Shout out to IFTV as well for um, giving us that nice little shout out on Instagram as well. Matt's been doing a great job. I mean, he's, a, he's addicted to making graphics. It's actually yeah, insane. He's actually just, become addicted. He's a pet. When you go to sleep in, in the UK, he's just up texting me at like 11.30 at night. He's like, look at all these graphics I got going. I got a bunch of them ready for this week tomorrow. <laughs> right before we record, I'm like, wow, you really do. And he wasn't kidding. He's sending the pictures over. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's shout been a lot of fun. Com. <laughs> yeah, shout, shout out to Canva.com. Shout out to Yeah, get another oh, sponsorship there. But let's get yeah, into imagine. it, right? Premier League. It's a good week for Pat, good week for us as well with Milan fans, but we'll, we're we'll give- back. <laughs> we're not. We're not really back, but we won. Back. We. But I was actually can- watching the highlights yeah. just before we jumped on recording, and I, I actually think Arsenal should have won four 0 Not even joking. But I was, I was actually more unimpressed with Wolves that I was impressed with my own team Arsenal because it actually mm-hmm. felt like we were playing a bit of a better version of Stoke City back in the day. Um, <laughs> Like, on, no, honestly, like, their tactic was over the ball uh, to Adama, give the ball to Adama, try and run, uh, and then long throws. That was all Wolves had. I was really, really shocked. I, I have to profess, I have not watched them that intensely this year. But really, from all the amazing reports I've had from, you know, highlights I've watched and, and bits of games here and there that I've watched from them, I really expected them to absolutely batter us. And I was so, so shocked at how badly they played. And not just how badly they played, like the manner in which they approached the games, the long throws, the, the over-the-top balls, the lack of actual incisive football. And, um, you know, Bakayo Saka, a guy that we've talked about on this podcast a lot, I think we profiled him in an episode uh, yesteryear, um, ages ago. Matt, I'm pretty sure he was one of our first ever profiles. I think he, he was included in an article that you did on, on Arsenal Youngsters as well. I was like to you, gut Matt, this is the guy. 
you know this yeah. is the guy like even when reese nelson was coming through arsenal um everyone would say yeah he's good but so there's a guy in the academy who is like the guy you know like there's always the guy you know the greenwood the callum hudson adoy the mm-hmm. um you know the phil foden there's the guy that everyone knows is gonna be the guy uh, and Bakaya Saka seems to be that he seems to be you know, he's Arsenal's best player before the break, Arsenal's best player after the break. Ain't a damn thing changed. And he's just been phenomenal. And um, honestly, him and Martinelli signing a contract, uh, contract extensions or new contracts and Arsenal winning in the same week to make it four wins in a row, it just capped off an amazing week to be an Arsenal fan. And um, yeah, I mean, that was probably the, the biggest Premier League game of the, the, the weekend. But I guess since we, since we recorded last, I mean, Man City destroyed Liverpool 4-0 and then um, and Man City have lost to Southampton 1-0. It seems as though the Premier League is going into a bit of a hiatus apart from that kind of top four race, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's obviously you know still uh, a lot to, lot to be played for in the coming weeks. Um, you know the race for between Chelsea, United, Wolves. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, you know tension there. A lot of um, uh, kind of a three horse race, if you will, or four horse race. Uh, can't count any club at this point out yet. Um, but just getting back to Arsenal real quick and Saka. I know we had Reese Chambers on uh, maybe three, four episodes ago, something like that, to give us some of his you know top U23 talents to look out for. And, and Saka was definitely one of them. Player. Uh, one of the players at the time of that, we were talking about, you know, will he sign the contract? Will he, you know, commit to the club? Will the club commit to him? And obviously, you know, as you as you touched on, Pet, you know, a big big week for him and Arsenal fans and and just youth players in general. You know, getting Saka's deal wrapped up, getting Martinelli's deal wrapped up, having Saka get his first Premier League goal with Arsenal, um, all that, you know. Uh, lumped in with a victory obviously it was a very good very good weekend for you um in many ways we were celebrating here the fourth of july weekend so you're kind of just had your own celebration just for that <laughs> kind of culmination of a good week for for arsenal and the fans so um mm. but yeah but i think there's still obviously a lot to play for um and specifically on the weekend you know, I, I thought manchester united looked very good bruno fernandez continues his uh dominance and the, the impact he's having on a team is, is 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 incredible to watch i think since he arrived i don't think any player has um you know contributed to more goals um, you know, goals and assists, of course, than him in the Premier League, which speaks volumes to how just in vital he's been um, so far, and obviously how vital he'll be the rest of the way in uh, United's chase. But you know, between him, obviously Greenwood having a fantastic um, you know performance, Rashford, Martial, it seems as though United and Ali is uh, you know they're kind of trending in the, really in the right direction, and this is exactly mm. where United want to be heading into the kind of the final stages of the season you know they're playing well all their their attack is firing on all cylinders uh, the midfield with Pogba, Matic and Bruno looks very sharp very balanced and I think you look this is this is what the future could look like for Manchester United obviously we've touched on in previous episodes that they do need a couple pieces we have our YouTube video um, that you did Pat with um, Jared Sancho that's obviously still a possibility I know the fee is kind of what they're um, you know, far apart on between them and, and Dortmund. But overall, uh, yeah, definitely United and Arsenal had really big weekends. Yeah, I mean, if Man United can maybe get one or two more players, whether it's Sancho and a centre-half, you're looking at a really, really good team in that regard. You know, they've got this, the, the strike force sorted out now. Mason Greenwood have come, has come leaps and bounds. You'd expect him to be kind of the guy that fills in across the, the three or four positions up top uh, next season if you had Sancho coming in. 
So you have, you know, a Sancho, Martial, Rashford front three with, with Bruno off there. Um, and then obviously um, Mason Greenwood can kind of fit in in any of those four positions, uh, 10, 9 or out uh, uh, wide. Um, you're looking at a really good strike force there. Um, I don't know if Igalo is going to stay, but he seems to be a decent rotation option. They've got depth in midfield, you know, McTominay, Matic, Pogba, Bruno, um, Fred, who hasn't really played that much since the break because Matic has been so good. Um, the, the place that you, you're worried about is maybe, you know, left back, right back. Uh, does Aaron Wan-Bissaka have enough going forward? Is Luke Shaw going to keep up this consistency? Maguire is, is a good centre-back, not an amazing one. Lindelof has been hit and miss. And obviously, we all know that David De Gea has kind of been on a decline for the last two seasons. So it depends what they do there. Um, but they do really seem to be trending upwards. And I think it's... It feels like the Premier League is is a proper Premier League when Manchester United are, are at the top. And, you know, I, I hate United to, to the very bone, you know, but it does feel more like the Premier League, doesn't it? I think so, too. And even when Arsenal's playing the way, way they do and Spurs are kind of like in free-fall chaos, <laughs> I, I, to, me, to me it feels normal again. Well, I, really quick, I just want to touch on the De Gea point. Because that goal he let in was just uncharacteristic of a guy who you expect to be a top 10 goalkeeper. You can't get beat near post like that. It's like he wasn't even prepared for it after Maguire got beat. Dean Henderson's playing amazing, right, for Sheffield. When is it a real serious conversation? And I know it's been had um, on the internet. I know that's, you know, the fan base. (laughs) So that you can't really take it, you can take it with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, when is it in United's best interest to dump him? But then again, who wants to take him at this point with these wages and the performance? Mm, no one is the answer. I think no yes. one is the answer. So then what do you do? I, I think United? what you do is um, kind of what Chelsea did between that awkward transition between Peter Cech and Thibaut Courtois, where um, <clears throat> they brought him in. And uh, he kind of played on the bench or, or kind of came in at points in the cup and, and European competitions. And then the next season took over completely. And I really think that that's what's going to happen uh, with Dean Henderson and, and David De Gea. You know, if, if we look at the, the ages, the form um, and all of that, it kind of seems, I mean, you know, De Gea is 29. You'd actually expect a, a keeper to be uh, peaking at this point. I do wonder if... Um, if something does happen whereby, you know, PSG have always been yeah. trying to find done. that keeper, you know, you know, cause I'm just thinking, cause you know, he's not going to go to uh, Man uh, to Real Madrid considering Courtois there. No um, PSG might need a keeper. That is the area that maybe, or the place that I could see him there. Um, you know, I look at Bayern Munich with Neuer who's, who's, who's signed an extension and uh, they've obviously got Newball coming in. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a lot of wages. You can't obviously let him sit on the bench, but I do think next year is going to be that transition year if they do bring him back or alternatively, they let him go out to Sheffield United again. He plays a full season and then comes in the next year, 2021 to 2022 and becomes the uh, unquestioned starter. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weave in a little question here that I kind of um, alluded to earlier. Dexter Cousins, shout out Dexter in uh, Australia, making a FinTech Australia podcast out there and it's doing really well. I'm, I'm seeing it on LinkedIn, very impressed. Uh, he says, Southampton, the best team in the Premier League or is everyone now officially wearing flip-flops? So I said, again, Matt, you know, outside of the top four or the, the, that top four race, is anyone taking the Prem seriously anymore? And has that been, um, you know, a- amplified by the lack of fans? It's hard to really say. I think, you know, this is going to be a, a 
a domestic campaign across across the board that's going to be kind of looked at a lot a lot differently. Um, you know, when we get one year down the line, three years down the line, five, so on and so forth, in the sense that you really don't know what the trajectory of some of these clubs is going to be, right? I think, you know, you can look at certain clubs who have done really well um, and have benefited from, you know, the kind of the abnormal time that we have in the game. But there have also been um, some clubs that have just really struggled. You know, Tottenham have, obviously haven't looked really sharp. And we know we talked about them quite a bit on the episode of Harry about how, you know, Mourinho needs more time and you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, yeah, it, it's just really been kind of a, 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 a strange, you know. That's, that's uh, a conversation though, isn't it? Like, no, does no. Mourinho need more time? I, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. I think, if, you know, it, I don't think he would have committed to that project or signed on or that they would have that mutual agreement had there not been a little bit more of a leash here. Because I think, you know, you come in mid-season, you don't have your players, and then you kind of throw on the fact that, the whole stoppage of everything just kind of you know Harry Kane being out so their that their situation is a bit different but as far as it goes with some of these other teams I, I mean the Premier League is one of those teams that the money's always going to be there for so there's always going to be that instant injection of um you know a possibility of a turnaround or the 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 I guess how could I say this the you know the motivation or the uh probability that that turnaround is a little bit more quicker in this league with some of these clubs versus it being with the, you know, Serie A or Ligue 1 or you know, Bundesliga. But I, I don't know. I think, you know, it's, it's just kind of been a weird situation to begin with. And I think some people have to kind of, uh, you know, be care, a little bit more cautious or careful and more um, hands-on or focused in on how they actually you know, judge certain teams or certain players, because it is, uh, again, a strange situation, a strange time to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's get to one more question that we have since it's Premier League based. Um, it's from my friend back in college. So this is Paul, even though his name is pale on here and it's not even himself in this picture. So we're just going to go with that. Um, Manchester United's young squad is coming in the form late this season. Do you see them being a legitimate contender? or Will the Premier League race be a two team race again next year? So I'll go I'll go first with this because I because I thought about this. So I think the race is still going to come down to United. I mean, uh, excuse me, City and Liverpool as the two teams that will win the title. But I do see the race going much deeper with more clubs later into the season instead of the the race for the title being over so soon like it was this year and in recent years. I think Chelsea and United are going to have a chance to fight it out longer, you know, like into match day, like 30, potentially 31, where they're still kind of in the conversation, but but you don't think they'll win the title. I think it's really going to come down to City and Liverpool again. I think City's just got to get healthy, and they've shown they're capable of beating Liverpool and anybody on their best day. So I think it'll be something like that. But I still think Chelsea United is still another year away besides next year. Um, but I think Chelsea's going to make the bigger strides opposed to United. I, I 100% agree with you, Martino. And I do feel that um, you know, City and Liverpool, they're the kind of the standard right now. But I also think that those two clubs that they um, what they have that's benefiting them versus United and Chelsea, let's call it, um, is the fact that they've had uh, substantial years, substantial time with the project that's intact right now with those managers, right? Pep Guardiola has been there for a handful of years. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp has been there and he's transferred the team completely. So those two teams, it's not really surprising to see them kind of be the cream of the crop and the the 
the perennial favorites, um, you know, going into next season um, to win the title. But United and Chelsea, you know, with between the coaching situations they've dealt with in the past couple of years, obviously the in and out of certain players, players not achieving the, you know, um, to expectations. And you could say the same thing about Chelsea to an extent, but with the transfer ban and now the fact that they're building um, you know, post that transfer ban, a really formidable project under Frank Lampard. Um, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to see, you know, within a year, maybe next year at some point that, you know, we have really a really deep uh, race for, you know, the title. And I think that's kind of what it used to be. And I think that's kind of what it has to get back to. Um, even in Serie A, I've drawn many parallels, uh, you, know, you know, to draw between the, these two leagues at this point in time, in the sense that it was always Juve Napoli. Now you have teams like Inter, I know they're off it, Lazio who are kind of off it um, for, the, for, the, for the title. But you also have Atalanta, you know, so teams are kind of rising to the occasion. They're kind of getting their quote unquote shit together. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really not surprising. I don't think, you know, many people expected, you know, Chelsea and Man United specifically to be down um, this long and out of kind of the conversation for the title. But I think most could agree here, um, you know, the Premier League, you know, when you, when you see all these teams, you know, at their, at their best with some of the top players, top talents in world football, that's when you get the best Premier League and then you get the best bang for your buck. So I think there's definitely a lot of excitement um, coming our way if you're more of a neutral, but also if you're a rival um, club looking at those teams, I think you really do have to respect um, a wider pack of, of teams to be uh, in the hunt uh, for, for more top honors. I think that Man United will be title contenders if they get Jaden Sancho. I think it's as simple as that, honestly. Like, if they get Jaden Sancho, I can't see them not being at least third next season. I don't think they'll win it, but I think they'll they be need another not too bank. far. I, I probably agree, but I do, I do think that given their record against the big teams, which is pretty sure. good they have a chance. And I think if they get Sancho, they're certain for third and they're in with a chance for the league. Whether that's like a 2% chance or a 5% chance, I'm not too sure. But I think think they wouldn't be too far away if they got Jaden Sancho. I I genuinely think he's that good. I think he's he's an absolute game changer. You know, if you have him in that side regularly instead of Dan James, like that team's going to score a lot of goals. Hot shot did uh, Dan James. But yeah, I think the top four would be a lock with Chelsea, United, City, and Liverpool for me. If those if those moves went down. But anyways, Pet, we got another uh, little sponsorship plug to have. So uh, take it away here. Well, today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else with no ads or clickbait, just amazing sports writing. So for 50% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, go over to theathletic.co.uk slash state of play. Uh, and it's £2.49 a month if you go for their annual deal which is about three dollars isn't it gents and that's really really cheap for what you get at the athletic it's amazing and um i mean martino i guess the fated question is what have you been buying for more than three dollars recently well so again i think i spent a little bit of money on warzone they had a again (laughs) i said yeah because they had this 1776 pack for the fourth of july and you get firework bullets and i needed to get it for the M4. You needed because, to get it. You needed. Well, yeah, to get it. yeah. Well, if you play, if you play enough, uh, if you play enough Warzone, you know, like the ground, the M4, like you know, the city and Liverpool of uh, assault rifles. 
<laughs> like that reference there. There you go. So the growl came down a little bit. So the M4 is uh, being used a lot more. So I used for that. And yes, a lot of white claws. I bought, you guys don't want to know the amount of uh, money I spent on white claws this weekend. But Matt, what did you spend recently for uh, of the flight? Um, I actually was down the shore most of this weekend. Um, and obviously uh, some pieces of pizza were actually just everything always overpriced down there. Uh, I think it's the Jersey Shore effect um, after the show. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I kind of more, more or less will kind of compare to um, coffee, right? I think everyone consumes coffee or tea to some degree or, you know, bottled water, bottled soda. And one of those in a day can be your month monthly costs for the subscription for great content. I shared a couple articles, um, both you know, natively on my account, but also on the State of Play Pod account that were really exceptionally uh, well-written. One was uh, Mason Greenwood, uh, your focus piece. And another one was Martina, the one that you plugged about Milan, which, you know, obviously was just a no brainer. I had to read that one. So for a couple, you know, a <laughs> couple bucks, I mean, that's, it's just a no brainer. And then the fact that you get the 50% for the annual subscription and you get access to all sports. Um, I know we have some American uh, listeners right now. So you get access to everything. I just think it's a no brainer. It's, you know, look, just, just thank us when you do, you, you commit to it and you actually do enjoy what you're reading because there is some really, really great work on there. Yeah. Um, shout out to James Horncastle on that uh, Milan piece. So I love that. So we'll, we'll shift to Italy now. Shocking news coming out of there, fellas. Juve won the league again. Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. basically. So <sighs> Milan going in Thrash, um, Lazio in Rome. No Immobile, no Caicedo. We knew it was going to be kind of difficult for them to pull out the three-point. I thought it was at least going to play for a draw there. Juve take care of business, obviously, uh, against Torino. Cristiano Ronaldo finally scores a free kick with Juve. Um, (laughs) Like, the way he scored it, everyone's, like, reacting like he's been doing it. Like, no problem. Even though, like, it's the first time in I don't know how many attempts. I think Matt would know the number. Um, It's like 200 and something, isn't it? It was an absurd amount. And every time you have Pjanic and Dybala there, like, ready to take it, they get in, like, you know, that – that you know like infamous uh picture that milan had with beckham ronaldinho and pirlo it's mm. just those three but it's just <laughs> not the same because cristiano hasn't been that way but yeah again look i mean it's 25 goals for him this campaign he's only four behind immobile now and he's just thinking to yourself like we know we haven't seen the best of him week in week out for them and yet here they are again seven points clear with a handful of matches left and it's just Juve all over again and I, and I just kind of ask you guys before we move on to the to a different part of the league, like, when is this going to stop? I just don't think it's going to. I think they're the favorites again going into next year. I know Inter need to figure out some things, but this is what I'm talking about. Like, the other teams just drop their points when they need to have must-win games. Like I, it's- I, I, think, I, I think with Juve, I, I, de- I definitely agree with you. I've always been respective of the fact that they've just dominated the league's for such a long time that until they're dethroned, they're, they got to be respected as, as the favorites. And I think that's not going to change heading into next season, especially if they make some additions to that midfield, which is what's being reported, right? Arthur is already coming in. Uh, many Juventus fans are excited about that fresh new uh, young blood um, against, you know, obviously with the head of Pjanic, who served the team you know, really, really well over the years, but obviously he- heading into that 30, 31 year old, 
you know, part of his career where you kind of, you know, anticipate somewhat of a decline. Um, and there's obviously linked with several of the top players. Pogba, I think is not, not an option. I think he's definitely going to stay now that there's that Bruno Fernandez connection, but nevertheless, if they can add another midfielder there, they got Kulisevsky coming in and there's reports that they're going to possibly try and swap Federico Bernadeschi, of course, who they bought for 40 million euro a handful of years ago for uh, Eric Milik at Napoli, which is kind of strange to see, uh, you may not do a swap deal. That's kind of what the times were in. Uh-huh. Obviously, you may know how much of a rivalry they have. But yeah, I just think that Juve, are, they're going to be really well positioned to keep this thing going. I know Inter are building a great project. Uh, obviously, Hakimi has been uh, confirmed to be joining them um, once you know the season's over. And yeah, Inter, you know, not, not Inter and Lazio have had great seasons. There's no doubt that they're building you know, formidable projects, especially the same for Atalanta. But I think at the same time, if you're looking at Juve, there really isn't many holes in their team, maybe with the exception of the fullback area. I know that's kind of been a conversation, an ongoing conversation. Um, I think they'll probably address that at some point. The midfield, I think, will, will be addressed and improved uh, quite well from uh, Paratici this summer. But look, they're going to get Demerol back. They're going to have Delict back. I know he's had a handball issue, but overall, this season, he's been a very good uh, defender for them. Bonucci's still, um, you know, 31, 32 years old. Chiellini can be your fourth. And look, if he's your fourth kind of option, he's, a, he's still a very great uh, great defender, great leader. Um, you just look at the actual dynamic of that team, and I, it's hard to see where Juventus get, you know, you know, knocked off their perch. But, look, you have to wait and see what Inter does. They have ambitions and high ambitions for the market, and you can't you, you rule that out because I do think they're heading in the right direction. I mean, especially with, as you mentioned, Kulisevsky coming in, and he's been phenomenal since the, the, the break. I mean, he's probably been the best under-20 player in the world apart from Sancho and Haaland this season I know Sancho's now 20 but he was 19 at some point this season like he's been the other guy if you took those two out of the picture um and you know him coming back into that Juve frame whether he comes into kind of like the number eight number 10 or out wide role Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be great for them I mean I'm not very bullish on Sarri as a coach whether or not he's going to be there at Juve for for a long time not too sure. I, I just want to talk a little bit about kind of Inter's recruitment and mm-hmm. versus Juventus re- recruitment. If you look at some of the guys that Conte has brought in, he's always been very obsessed with the here and now. Like he wants to win as soon as possible. And I think Juventus are more dedicated to that slightly longer term project, you know, with the likes of Delict and Demiral and, you know, Arthur coming in, they've, they've, They've freshened that midfield up, even though he might not be the, the best central midfielder in the world. He could be very good at some point. Uh, Kulisevsky's coming in, obviously 19, going to be 20 when he's playing for Juventus next season, if he's there and they don't loan him out. Let's you know compare that to Inter Milan's uh, spending last summer. Diego Godin, old. Ashley Young came in January, old, 34 years old. Victor Moses last summer, 29 years old. Um, Christian Eriksen isn't exactly a spring chicken. So I think the recruitment was quite strange for me at Inter when, you know, Diego Godin probably came in on massive wages. Ashley Young probably came on big wages. Like these players came on big wages. Sanchez Ericsson, too. Even on oh, the yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Sanchez, I don't know. And there's rumors that they want him to, to stay. Like, there's I, no way he's taking the wage cut. It's like a well, certain amount. Yeah. But even, even if it happens, right, he's going to be expensive. Even if he's not £500,000 a week, he's going to be 300000 And yeah. I don't know, like... <laughs> Conte is a really good manager, but I think if you are the directors over at Inter Milan and you're trying to get him to buy into this longer term project, it must be super tough because, mm -hmm. you know, like the guys that they're buying aren't really that young and they're not going to be there forever. But I think Hakimi might be the start of that. I I could counter that with Barella 
They've been playing Bastoni a lot. He's a young guy. Hakimi's only 24. They're going to get Tonali, and he's just 20. So I think I think they are going towards that. I mm-hmm. I what I think it was was getting like you know a, a winner like Godin in there. You know, someone that's been there. That I think it was one too many though. With you know Young oh, sure. and Moses and I mean Ericsson yeah, didn't look, make sense to me. You don't like, have to. Sanchez. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue on uh, the Ashley Young and Victor <laughs> Moses signings. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that one. So yeah, I do agree to that to an extent. Um, <laughs> And it, hey, look, Conte, it was funny in his quotes yesterday after they lost against Bologna. The first half of his quote, he took blame for what happened in that debacle. And then he said Lautaro could have been better. So, I mean, <laughs> he, still, he still circled back around to being himself. But, but we got to move on. So, Sassuolo, well, real, real, real quick, I, I just, yeah, just want to touch on the comparison between the two projects because I think it's definitely worth pointing out um, and bringing attention to the fact that I think when you're a team like Juve, you're a team that's dominated the league, uh, for as long as they have, uh, and you have the resources, the financial flexibility uh, that they've been able to accumulate over the years, and the fact that they've had stability in many positions that cost many other clubs tons of money, specifically in defense, specifically in certain attacking areas. I think Juventus have position, positioned themselves to make sizable investments for the future, even if they're not going to be uh, major impact players in year one, like a Demerol, for instance. Like they made that they made that addition out six months uh, after you know Demiron moved to Italy, and now all of a sudden he, he comes in he gets the injury. But that's a player that like you can see the Licht and Demiron and Bonucci like you have three rock solid defenders and two of them are very young. And then you look at the goalkeeping situation. You got Ochoa Chesney who's been very stable, a great presence in the back. So. When you look at what Inter's doing, I, I agree with you, Martino, in the sense I do think they're kind of turning that direction. You could see what Morota's trying to um, put together with some of these additions they've had made with Barella. You know, obviously, Tenali, it's not done yet, but that seems like it's going to get over the line. Hakimi, I think what Inter see now is that they maybe see, again, I could be wrong. You guys could maybe disagree with me, but I do see that Inter uh, observe Juve in a light that they want to be the first team to, they want to be the team to dethrone them. They don't want to be Napoli. They don't want to be Milan. They enter want to be the team that becomes the next champion. And you have Conte, former Juve coach, you have Marota, former Juve director. <laughs> and I think they kind of see that maybe Juve are a little bit, they were at least at some point this season, we can argue that they were a vulnerable. They did see that maybe Inter can win the title this year don't think it's going to happen now but I, no, you get no. my point i think yes i think it's starting to kind of change the tide of their project if they can keep obviously lukaku's going to stay he's at a very good age with Bautaro is something you want to build around but the overall nucleus of that team is you know trending to be at least on the younger side even moses and ashley young i believe have options young mm. will probably stay as a bench rotation guy but i think moses is going to be uh, not having his option picked up just because they got a and i think they're looking for another wing back so I do think that they are making em- Emerson's sort of a the talk, isn't it? Emerson, yeah, from Chelsea. So he's getting guys mm-hmm. that you know maybe he recruited or does like and has a familiarity with. So you can see that they're they are yes getting some veterans where they do need. Even Godin, I think, was a good you know good stab to make. But the simple fact is that this team is very young in certain areas. Maybe that back line with Devraj and Skriniar needed some leadership, and you still have a great top class goalkeeper in Handanovic. So they're really well built. If it's not this year, I think it's definitely going to be uh, next year where they may maybe make it a lot of more tighter. But yeah, it's definitely Juve's to lose. Yeah, I, I would agree there, Matt, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's when, when someone wins eight, nine times in a row, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. 
forever. Um, so, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, they also have to stop losing games like they just did yesterday. Like, you, can, you cannot have that. It's inexcusable to lose to Bologna the way you do. Lautaro's penalty was just absolutely horrible. Like, I, 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 I can't even believe that. And at this point, you got to look at it. He has only four goals in 2020. You would think he would have a lot more than that. So it's for me, it's kind of a little disappointing with his output. I think his link-up play is still great with Lukaku. But let's go to Sassuolo a little bit, Matt, because this was one of your favorite graphics. And I, honestly, my eyes popped out when I saw this. So Francesco Caputo, Berardi, and Jeremy Boga all have – Caputo's got 15 goals. Berardi's got 11. Boga's got 11. I mean – Hell, I did not see this coming. I, I know individually, I thought they were all having like pretty fine seasons, but when you just look at the numbers as a whole, Sassuolo's had a fantastic attack so far. And credit to Deserbi, um, there's a lot of great options here. I think a lot of them, we've discussed Berardi making this move. I know Pet was uh, a driving force behind that narrative. Um, Boga, we know Chelsea's going to uh, be able to sell him, so we'll see what happens there. I believe they still have the option to uh, sell him. I think they refused the first right to buy him back. So I think they just want to sell him out, right? I, I, think, I think with Chelsea, um, I think with Chelsea, I think it was Nizar Kazella reported that they their window to um, the, 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 the buyback option, 13.5 mm-hmm. million pound, I think has passed. But I think, do think that they have a high sell-on percentage. So if they do make a, some sort of sale, I think that Chelsea's going to recoup uh, quite a bit, of, uh, quite a large uh, sum of that. Which is which is promising considering the fact that I think Boga has been at eleven goals, two assists, one of the league's top dribblers. He's a very modern type dribble winger. He does quite a bit of things to help you out um, and and kind of expand your attacking gameplay game plan. Excuse me, um, but but Sassuolo in general, I think they've been a team that's um, yes, they're not even not they're not getting all the the, the praise and plaudits that a team like Atalanta um, are getting. Uh, though these two teams are the only two teams that have um, three guys with uh, eleven plus goals. Which again, it's it's pretty impressive when you're the company of Atalanta, who are you know, amongst the best attacking teams in Europe. But Sassuolo, you know, they have extended the journey for 2021, um, and I tweeted something out about this. Um, it's going to be very difficult to retain them because things open up. Uh, obviously, you know, we don't know what the future holds for certain coaches in Italy, but Detrebi is going to be in demand. He's uh, very much a Pep Guardiola influence. He's an admirer of Maurizio Sarri. So, so the future is very bright for him. And I think Sassuolo maybe are not getting as much attention as they should, but on a day-to-day, on a weekly basis, shall I say, they're one of those attacking teams that um, do put up goals. They're very entertaining to watch their style of play take shape. And, we, we know we didn't mention some of the other players that they have. Manuel Locatelli's having a great year um, with them. He's also being linked to certain top clubs as well. So overall, I think Sassuolo are building a really strong project. And, you know, it, it begs the question is that, you know, is, is, are they a team that's maybe possible can fall in the same category or fall in the same direction as an Atalanta team, not with a huge budget or a huge following or, you know, this huge backing, but that, you know, with a really progressive minded coach can make things happen and overachieve. It's possible because they have done it before. They did it with Eusebio Di Francesco, you're getting promoted, carrying you know, themselves up to make you your Europa League uh, finishes, you know, you're finishing in the top six. Whether that's down to them specifically or the fact that some of these teams in Italy just were really underachieving, like the Milans and Inters of the world, remains to be seen. But I think you're just well, though, you know, look, you've got to be excited about the project, at least for another year with the Derby. And if you can retain some of these players, maybe next year's where where that Europa League run could come in because I do think they have some good players to build around. 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that because at the end of the day, they always, you know, you kind of feel like whenever Sassuolo is just one of those clubs, when they sell off a couple of pieces, you think that's it. They might go back into the relegation conversation, but they've kept themselves afloat every single year since they um, got into Serie A. So kudos to them. Very entertaining team, um, especially that first game back when they played Atalanta. That was great to watch. But another from one league that's been completely dominated from one club to the next in Germany, Bayern Munich. They just keep getting better, guys. I mean, Leroy Sané from Man City. Um, we know the price was going down because the contract expiring. There was an injury he was returning from. He is personally my favorite player by far outside of Milan. I He's just so entertaining to watch. I love his pace. I think I, I love watching left-footed players to begin with. Um, I mean, look, this is such a great coup for Bayern. Um, familiarity with the league alone. He, he plays for the Germany la- national team as well. The fee wasn't anything crazy whatsoever. I think this was just a home run for Bayern. City recouped what they could, uh, given the circumstances. So, I mean, look, this further extends Bayern's dominance in Germany. And this just really, for me, has to do with uh, a potential Champions League trophy uh, going into next year as well. It's a really, a really, really good move, isn't it, for, for Bayern Munich? It's maybe not one that is on their priority list, but it's one that was most pressing due to the contract issue, due to City wanting the money, due to Bayern having the money, etc. And also the player kind of pushing for that move. I, I think there's always been something about Leroy Sane at City where he's never really been the unquestioned starter. Um, if you liken Raheem Sterling to being kind of a the teacher's pet for Pep, uh, for Pep Guardiola. Like Guardiola loves him. He's loved coaching him. Leroy Sane has been maybe the more talented player, maybe the better player overall, but he's been the guy that maybe didn't buy into the philosophy out and out and was sometimes in and out the team. And um, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, as soon as you get on the wrong side of Pep, it's hard to come back. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that he, he is definitely on the wrong side, but um, it's just one of those things where it, it kind of makes sense for all parties. As I said, as you said, Martino, um, they've recouped a lot of the fee. Uh, he's going to be starting for Bayern uh, out on that left-hand side. I, I do want to ask you guys, though, does this impact Alfonso Davies and how far forward he can push? Like, does this impact his kind of... Um, you know, uh, set up in that team? Like, in the future? Like, does he have to stay at left back now because Sané's coming in? I think he could argue it makes things better for him because he doesn't have to exert that much energy. So, like, he could pick his spots now, right? Yeah. If Sané Sané will drop back a little bit and Davies is full of energy, I mean, that's scary, in my opinion. Like, the guys, the kid's already almost nearly unstoppable at his age. And once he figures out just how to play defense and not rely on his speed, to uh, make up for some of his positioning mistakes. And he's he said he needs to work on that too. So I think it'll only help him. But I think Davis's output in general, I think will decline. But him as a player, he'll be better. And, hmm. and that's just kind of the way I look at it. You you don't get worse sometimes if your you know, statistics take a little bit of a hit face value. But if Davies can increase his defes- defensive efficiency, then I think it's, I mean, benefits him even more. So Matt, I... I, I think with I, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I, I think good players and, and great talents specifically with that are within a great project that can nurture their talent. And Hansi Flick has done a good job um, as manager of Bayern Munich. I think good players just know how to play with one another. And that sounds kind of like a basic thing, but I, I, I trust guys like Alfonso Davies. I trust Leroy Sané. 
um, you know, Serge Gnabry is another one, right? You know, for, between uh, the three of those tackers, Sané, Lewandowski, and Gnabry, it's cost them, what, like $60 million, which is ridiculous because they got Lewandowski for free, who's been, in my opinion, the best striker in world football. Um, but if you look at just the actual dynamic of that squad, you know, even if they do sell Thiago, which has a bit, been a big rumor to Liverpool, for instance, I still think that the team is made up really, really well. And look, they won the league, they won their cup. They're obviously in a really good position to be Champions League winner this year. So I, I think at the end of the day, the project is is well intact. It's it's well stocked and good players can play with one. Right? I think they'll, they'll adjust. There'll obviously be some maybe adjustments to be made uh, throughout the season. But uh, look, I, I, as far as Davies goes, as far as Sané goes, I just think that's such a handful and such a tough assignment for anybody that's going to be confronted with that. And Look, in, in certain parts, we saw even with, you know, with Dortmund and Sancho were able to do, you know, you just have those two guys who've got to respect them. You have the, the overlapping runs. You have just the kind of dynamic between the two players. And I just think it's going to be very exciting to watch that unfold at Bayern Munich, who, again, as you guys alluded to, just continue to get so much stronger, so much more um, strength and numbers. And they just got to be respected as not only the favorites <laughs> to win the Bundesliga next year again, but as a real legit threat to win the Champions League this year, which would be huge for Lewandowski's uh, case to be found to winner. That is my I mean, they're, they're already a double. They got a chance <laughs> to see trouble true. right now. They got 51 the double. goals, I think, in 43 games. That's ridiculous. That's if he crazy. wins the Champions League, that's he's, yeah, he's got oh, it. It's, it's without a doubt. I think. It, I, think I mean, the conversation is. The conversation is also about, you know, as we, as we go on to the La Liga, like, could Sergio Ramos win the Ballon d'Or? <laughs> If Possible. he wins the Champions League in La Liga, more, like, doesn't he have more goals than Griezmann this year? He's ten. He's ten. He's more. I think La Liga. Was it eleven? Ten or eleven? Ten goals. goals. He just he got his winner yesterday. But yeah. ten in La Liga alone. Griezmann scored well as well. I think yesterday. that's in La Liga alone. I think he's like wow. the. I, I, we we, we tweeted. We tweet, the stat boys. I'm going to pull this up real quick. But the um <laughs> yeah we, we 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 tweeted this out on the account. He um let me pull this up for you. Sergio Ramos is the only defender in the last decade to score 10 goals in a single La Liga campaign. That's ridiculous. Like, so not only is he... He's got 12 goals this season. That's... 12 goals in 40 games. <laughs> so he's averaging over and one clutch, every four like, games. He's a clutch player. He's, like, say what oh, about him. He's, he's the most like clutch that's... player of all time ever. It's, it's crazy, yeah. You could definitely make that case, and I don't think many people are going to argue with you. I think my my first ever bet my my first ever bet was um, in that final where he scored against Atletico Madrid the header the last minute one Sergio Ramos to score next at half time that was the next that was twenty twenty my first ever bet maybe maybe Drogba him and Drogba maybe maybe yeah come, and he come to clutch players but yeah I mean look Ramos is already the greatest Ronaldo scoring too, defensive though. player Ronaldo Cristiano? too yeah. yeah those three probably those three like. I mean, you know, Ronaldo scored so many clutch goals. You know, you get the, the, the game, the goals. Like I think Ronald, Ronaldo is the best Champions League player. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, 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 know. I think I think the conversation. Weird. I mean, yeah, I mean the semi, the what was his semi and quarterfinal tallies. Like, <sighs> like, yeah, as, like as the pressure mounts, he just There's gets no better, one. and that's. You, you, you know what I did the other day? I I sadly watched the highlights of the Arsenal uh, Manchester United two thousand and seven tie at the Emirates, where he just absolutely destroyed us. The, the free kick from like 40 yards that went through Armunia's hands. What happened after that? <sighs> it went pretty well for a certain club. So we got yeah. you back. No worries. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, yeah, he didn't yeah. score in either Was leg. it 2007 or was it 2009? The one where they won it against Chelsea in the final. 
It was 2009, uh, oh wait, I think. 2008. 2008. They yeah, went, to, they went yeah. to the final in 09. That's when Messi scored the header, um, I believe, in that one. You are um, correct, yeah. Was, 2009, yeah. those are the highlights that I watched. And I just think people forget that how good Ronaldo was in the Premier League. It's mad. But anyway, La Liga, you know. Um, <laughs> Madrid looked like they're going to walk away with it. We said it. I mean, we've been talking about this yeah. for how long now? We've Like, for months on end that we just saw this coming. Look, Barca had a huge win against Villarreal. I mean, let's call it what I – and Ansu Fati, by the way, man, this kid is – I think would anybody be opposed to saying that Ansu Fati might be the best Barca youth product in what? Maybe the last 10 years? You could argue is that close? I mean, he. I know it's just his first full season up, but, I mean, his age, the competitions he stepped up in, he single-handedly eliminated Inter in the group you stage. You can see it, and – they need they need they need guys like Fati to come through and, and deliver. I think Barcelona also need to trust their academy, um, you know, which has been a kind of a difficult thing for them to do over the years. You know, since you know the Javi, Iniesta, and Messi's have come through to really just put the faith in the kids because they obviously know what we, they're capable of doing in growing talent. But you know, even Ricky Puig is getting a lot of minutes now under Setien, and I, he's another one. You just gotta look at him, and you could say. This guy has to get minutes. You've got to find a way to integrate him and give him opportunities because I think that's what Barcelona are, are in my opinion, or at least I'm hoping, is that they're starting to see kind of what the future looks and it's, it's not a great future. I know they got no, money. No, and they no, can no, spend no. what they need to spend and they got, they're got. still going to have players that want to go play for them and they're still going to be in contention for things. But as a bar, when, you're, when you're Barcelona, you want to be the favorite for the title. You want to be a Champions League favorite. And look, you're getting all these players of 30 and beyond Where's the future? The future's not just always spending. It's let these players grow, let them get opportunities to, to, to grow within the system. And look, we touched on how many times about how important Messi is and how just how much he's carried Barcelona, a, a bad Barcelona team, in my opinion, this year. At some point, and, you know, look, there have been rumors that maybe 2020 yeah, I mean, that's year, the... you got to start finding what the future is going to look like. And... Look, I don't know. I know Barcelona fans listening right now do not want to think of what the, a future without Lionel Messi because he's been there for such a long time and he's, in many people's opinion, the best player of all time. But there's going to come that point in time, much like what we saw with Real Madrid, was what's life look like after Ronaldo? What's life look like after Messi? And Real Madrid, as we see in the table right now, are much more prepared it- for that future whereas Barcelona are still kind of playing catch-up. So that's going to be fascinating to watch is that these, these moves they've made, they haven't hit. Um, I know Griezmann has had a pretty good weekend. He's scoring goals. Maybe they found the sort of recipe there to play Messi behind Suarez and Griezmann. Who knows? We'll have to see what the rest of it looks like. Um, they still have Champions League, of course. The, the league looks like it's kind of wrapped up and given, going to be given to Real Madrid. But we got to start seeing these names come through. And I actually did an academy piece on Barcelona, um, you know, included Ricky Puy, included a couple other players on my Medium account for free. So um, I just think they need to make that transition. And I think you're starting to see that now with guys like Fati and Puig. But see, Really quick before I let you go, Pat. I, <laughs> my thing here is... We've seen evidence of Real Madrid transitioning into different eras and succeeding. We haven't really seen a lot of evidence no. of Barcelona doing that in their history. And they've had point. really good and they've had really good teams in the nineties. And don't get me wrong, they were making Champions League finals. Cruyff was doing a great job even when Guardiola was a player. But when you look at when Ronaldinho and Messi arrived, 
they got vaulted into this conversation in greatest club in the world, right? Real Madrid was considered that before Cristiano arrived. They had the Zidane era. They were dominating in the 50s and the 60s with those European trophies. The late 80s uh, as well, it was, a, it was a really good era for them. For Barcelona, it wasn't always that. And for me, it's just a huge question mark for them to transition after this guy because we see signs of it already when he isn't playing, that they look like they're in a deer in headlights, that they have no idea what's going on. Their transfers, as much as they get these big names in here, the philosophy and, and, and their ideology still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It really feels like a lot of the time it's just names that they're purchasing. But correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, I, I don't know. I still have a lot of question marks for, for me. That's just Yeah, I, I think if you look at the, the kind of way that Madrid have been building, you know, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Reynard, um, and even before Valverde. that, Valverde, but even before that, you look at um, when they get play, players like Varane, even Ferland Mendy, um, they are a better run club than Barcelona. They're not the best run club in the world, Real Madrid, by any means, but they are better run than Barcelona. And in La Liga, that's all that matters. And when you have players like Sergio Ramos and Tony Cruz and Benzema down your spine, you can get away yeah. with not being the best. With Barcelona, if you just have Messi, and that's honestly all Barcelona have now, um, they have a lot of other good pieces. They just don't really fit. They're starting to think that way, I think, you know. Um, but even when they've tried to think in that more youth-centric way, I mean, Jean-Claude Todibo is supposed to be one of the best up-and-coming French centre-backs, never got a look in at front in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Now on loan out in Germany, might not come back. Um, Trincao is coming from Portugal. Is he going to play that much, you know? Uh, you've got Trincao, Fati, Griezmann, Suarez, um, and Messi, all for those positions. Sometimes Sergio Roberto. Uh, you know, the likes, of, you know, swapping Arthur for Pjanic. I, I don't know. It, it seems like a mess over there. Um, and it's a shame because they're obviously such a great club to watch at their peak. But I can't see a situation where Barcelona, post-Messi, are a really, really top side. I really think their deterioration could be big and it could be quick. You've got guys on big wages such as Griezmann and Suarez. You've got guys like Piquet and Busquets who are declining and on, on massive wages. Jordi Alba's not a spring chicken anymore. A lot of these veteran guys are either declining or on massive wages. So you get yourself in a situation that when Messi leaves, you suddenly look around and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, paying Suarez 300K a week wasn't a bad idea when it made Messi happy and they're really good mates yeah. and they have dinner together outside of the football club. But when you look at the on-pitch and if Messi's not there and Suarez is still there and uh, Suarez is only fit for 70% of the games and in the other percent of the games that he plays, half of them he doesn't really care about. I think you get yourself in a really tricky situation. And I think Barcelona need to stop thinking down the Trincao and Fatty route a lot faster than they are right now because it's an aging squad. It's a squad that doesn't really look to have that much talent apart from Puig in the academy. And it, it's, a, it's a bit of a concern for them in general. I think if you, this is kind of dates, predates back to, um, you know, and you guys can disagree with me on this, and I'm sure people are going to disagree with me on this, but it kind of dates back to when Pep Guardiola left, right? That kind of felt like the end of that cycle. Now, I know they still had remnants and they still had members of his um, dynasty, if you will, at the club intact, you know, but then you see Iniesta leave, then you see Javi leave, and now obviously they sold Neymar. So, like, and maybe he comes back. I don't know. I, I still don't even think that would be just a big answer. I think that would be just kind of throwing money at the problem again. But you kind of look at the, the kind of the exodus and the, the, the departures of some really key elements to have 
uh, been relied on to sustain this dominance. And you touched on Real Madrid perfectly, Pet. You know, yes, they lost Ronaldo, but they had a guy like Benzema who is just a really, really productive striker who's been there, done that. He's won so much. He's scored so much. You look in the midfield, look defense. Like they had a spine, and in many ways you can draw parallels between what Juventus, Juventus had. When they lost that midfield, yes, they still had the defense. They still had Buffon. So they still had some guys there. But it seems as now that it's just mess. It's always just everyone kind of looking like, hey, Messi, can you help us out? Can you do, the, can you do what you do and help us out through this, this predicament? And this, this time of difficulty, that's what it seems like right now. And it's kind of been somewhat of a long time coming here. Again, the Pep, some, some Javi, br- Neymar, like Suarez getting injured. He's 33, 34. Like at some point you really wonder, and I, I think you, there's an argument to be made, Pep, uh, as you mentioned, where do you see the future? Do you see them as a team that, yeah, maybe they'll compete. Maybe they'll be, you know, obviously a team, the top four in their league, but do you see them having that sort of, uh, fear-invoking the mentality aura. about them in the Champions League where they always look to win. Mm, I, d- I don't think so. I just want to plug a little bit of um, uh, breaking news. Um, David Ornstein's just tweeted a column at The Athletic saying that uh, talks this week between Bayer Leverkusen and Leon Bailey and his reps to agree a valuation strategy for the 22-year-old. So it looks like Leon Bailey might be leaving there. Guy who's kind of hit and miss, uh, probably... The preference there is the Premier League, according to David Olsen. So it looks like he might be available for about 20 to 30 million euros. That looks pretty cheap. Um, but just wanted to plug that quickly. Well, there we go. You're getting a nice plug for The Athletic as we uh, wrap up the episode. Uh, as we wrap up. Yeah, 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 say, yeah. That, that's two right there. So uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bonus point to you, Pat. You win, you win, uh, you win the podcast for uh, Here we go. Points. Well, All let's right. see if you can get to 1,000 followers first. I didn't realize how much you soared up. I knew we were kind of always close, but I just checked and you're like, what, 40 ahead of me or 30, something like that. I think, I think you got it. But hey, I mean, if we both get to 1,000, but we'd rather stay to play, get to 2,000 before either of us get Oh, yeah, 100%. That's, team that's first. Just, that's just me. Yeah, team first. So when saying that, uh, you could go plug first uh, since you have the lead. You've earned it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Um, yeah, making making some moves in the world at the moment. Matt, go ahead. You can follow me at Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys are following us on Instagram, as I tweeted on my personal account, at State of Play Pod, and also on Facebook, same thing. And yeah, keep those uh, subscriptions coming into the podcast. Leave those positive reviews for us. Only going to help us grow. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you for the support. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Lots of sports talk going on there, aside uh, from everything. Please follow us on all the social media. Matt's been doing an amazing job with graphics. Thank you to everyone who has uh, shown us support over uh, the past few months. We've made amazing strides, like Pep was saying in June. So uh, thank you so much, and listen to some more Keith.